All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with father and son co-hosts, uh, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great today, Andrew. we got a great guest. we got another coach. Why don't you get right into the introduction? Yeah, we're excited to have with us today special guest, Coach Matt Turcott. So he began to coach in the Q- QM AAA from 2008 to 2010 and landed a huge opportunity to become an assistant coach in the QMJHL from 2010 to 2014. For two different teams during that time. From there, he turned back to the QM uh, AAA League for the next few years before finding his home again in the QMJHL in 2019 and has just been recently named the head coach for the the Blizzard. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the the Canadian names without it. Which is back in the uh, midget AAA. Yes. So without further ado, please welcome Matt Kirkott. Head coach. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. So starting from the beginning... um, where did the love of hockey spring into your life? And did you have any um, major previous playing experience before when you were younger, anything like that? Yeah, well, I've always played, right? Um, so I was playing at the, the AAA levels um, when I was younger. And then at a certain point, you kind of figure out you won't be able to make a career out of it, even though you're you're still in love with the sport. So I was reaching that level where I had to kind of make a choice. I knew that as a player, I was, you know, <laughs> getting to a dead end if you will so I went the uh, the school route um, I was gonna study uh, to become a lawyer <clears throat> and one of my former coaches he asked me to come coach with him when I was 17 and uh, that's when I kind of got the coaching bug so uh, I started coaching at 17 with him at the uh, the AAA level back then as an assistant coach and uh, enjoyed it so much that I kind of changed my my school plans and went to a coaching program in Quebec City, which was relatively new. So it's really it was really a program for coaches and not for you know phys ed teachers, if you will. So really, coaching program for three years, and I continued um, coaching in the meantime. Got my degree, and then that's how uh, how everything came about for for the rest of the uh, the coaching career. So, Coach, if you would just take a, a brief moment and explain uh, to our listeners um, in the UK and particularly the United States of the difference uh, between the leagues that we're going to be talking about today, between the major Quebec, you know, the Q, and also yeah. uh, Midget AAA. So, Midget AAA is basically the feeder system for the Q. So you've got in midget AAA, you've got your best 15 year olds in the whole province. And the way it works, it works by territory. So you're, you know, kids can't really, we can't take a kid from another city and bring him to our team. We really have what we have in terms of territory and in terms of kids on a certain year. So best 15 year olds, the best 16 year olds that have not made major junior. So that have not made the queue are with us at the midget level. And then you've got a few 17-year-olds that we're allowed to have that have not made the QMJHL yet. So we're basically the feeder system for the Q. So the Q drafts their players from the Midget AAA League mostly. And then after that, you've got the Q that is, you know, the Canadian Major Junior System. So the CHL, so the Canadian Hockey League, where you have the QMJHL, you have the OHL, and you have the WHL. So the NHL teams draft their players from the those three leagues, if you will, and obviously some other leagues. But those are the leagues that we kind of push our players towards. 
and then the NHL teams draft their players from from that league as well. So 16 to 20 is the age group for the QMJHL afterwards. So talking to your coaching career, do you remember a defining moment where you thought, hey, this could be a career? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all a job, right? It's a job. Yep. When, when do you do you remember that moment? If there was a moment where you realized that, like, hey, this is my career. Um, there there was a moment where because I think you have to make a decision before you kind of go. I didn't fall into it and kind of say like, hey, this can be a career. My goal was to make it, to find a way. You know what I mean? So it's like, hey, I really love this. Where can I go to study to get better at this and then add the hockey experience and then keep learning throughout? So there was that and finding a way to to get a, as many tools as I could. And then I'd say, um, so I did two years at the midget level uh, just across the river from Quebec City where I am now in Levy. I was an assistant coach there for two years at the midget AAA level. And then I got an offer to be the assistant in Val d'Or in the QMJHL. So that's kind of when I figured out like, Hey, maybe I have a shot of, you know, pursuing this long term. but you guys know from, from your experience talking with people and just following the game, uh, You know, even if you want to make a career out of it, um, you don't always have that choice, right? So sometimes your your work dictates how long uh, your career lasts. So uh, every every year, I'm I'm grateful for uh, for the opportunity. But I'd say it's it's when I got that Valdor job that, you know, you're getting a a half decent salary instead of scraping a few uh, a few dollars here or there. So that's when you figure out, hey, maybe I can I can make a real living out of this. Yeah, and so what? What's the story on you getting your first coaching job in, in that AAA Midget League? And you know, we'll, we'll get to it later. You return to the league now twice, I believe, since then yeah. after going up to the major QMJHL. What What is it about that league that's made you want to go back? But what's the story too of how you first landed the job there? That's a good question. Um, so I was while I was studying at uh, Laval University in Quebec City. I was coaching at the same time. I was a technical director. You kind of have to wear three, four hats just to uh, to make ends meet, even as a student. Um, so I was involved with a few hockey associations at the time, and I was coaching one of their their teams. Um, so what happened at the AAA level is there were a few firings uh, in two years. I think they changed coaches three times. Um, and I happened to be in the triple A's feeder system. So under that team, you've got all obviously like feeder systems underneath that. And I was an assistant coach, um, two levels down, if you will, in terms of age. And when those firings happened, I kind of moved up a notch, uh, to replace the, the coach, the assistant coach that moved up to the major triple A level and, um, just working with those that group of players afterwards that then that following year, we're going to move up to the triple a level. And there was an opening there because the head coach of the major triple a team uh, left to go coach in Switzerland, actually. Um, so with that opening, the assistant became the head coach and then there was the assistant coach's slot. So a few meetings, um, you know, with the head coach, with the GM, and that's how that came about. I kind of got lucky being at, 
the right associate in, in the right feeder system, if you will, at the time. Uh, and then after that, great, uh, great opportunity with the head coach at the time that was there, uh, Francis Bouchard, whose son played in the queue afterwards in Drummondville as a goalie. But uh, that's kind of how I got the first opportun- opportunity. And then you try to make the most of it once you're there. But definitely a bit of luck being at the at the right place at the right time with that. Was there a difficult transition on how the game is coached and played going from the midget AAA to the Q? Big time. Um, first of all, everything in the Q is, I'd say, 95% everything is done in English which is fine for me because, I mean, I'm, I'm from Montreal. Uh, my mother's, you know, English. So so that helped out. Um, but big transition in, in coaching. Uh, everything is in French, mostly at the midget level. Uh, so the players obviously are Quebecers, right? Most of them speak French. So then that transition to having to teach Every, since everything is in English, you've got to teach a lot individually as well. So let's say as a group, we're speaking in English. And then when you're doing your individual meetings with that player, most of the time you're speaking French because you want to make sure he grasps everything. There's a lot of questions as well for the new players, just learning because the cue, I mean, we want to prepare them for the professional level, right? So we've got to speak to them in English. Uh, they've got Hockey Canada camps. They have to attend at, at 16, 17, 18. So we have to make sure that they're at least up to par with the, the hockey language, if you will, in English, and then build up on the rest. Uh, in terms of philosophy, there's a big difference between both leagues. So at the midget level, it's more of a development league. Uh, so your job is really to develop the players individually. And if you can win while doing that, great. But the priority is not winning. It's really developing players for the major junior level. That's really what the league's mandate is. Whether, as you guys know, at the major junior level, whether it be, you know, USHL uh, on your side of the border or uh, the CHL, yes, you have to develop. But if you don't win, ultimately, they're going to find somebody else, right? So big difference in terms of philosophies there between both leagues. And so we got to remind our listeners here, too, that aren't familiar with the major junior leagues that, you know, these are young kids, some of them as young as 16, and they've got to go to school, they still have to get their education, um, just like any other high school age kids. So right. is that a difficult part of your job as an assistant coach when you were first, and I know we're getting up there in the timeline here in your career, was that something you had to worry about a lot? Is it something the head coach does? I imagine you deal with the parents, too. What's What's kind of... Um, how, how do you deal with that and keeping them on track as far as school and still getting your stuff done? Yeah. So at the major junior level, um, there's always somebody working with the players. So you've got, you've got basically like a counselor that's there to help the players make sure when we go on road trips, uh, their work gets done. So they have a, a support system with the counselor and also obviously us as assistant coaches. So I was in charge of the defensemen. Uh, every year I was in major junior. So obviously you kind of check in with your guys, you know, outside of hockey as well. Right. Especially at that age. Um, most guys, you know, whether I, I was in Valdor, Shikurimi or Drummondville, you know, 95% of the players don't come from the city where they're playing. So 
big changes for them at 16, 17, 18, you know, the older, the better in terms of uh, adjustments, but it's a lot of big changes for a 16 year old, 17 year olds, uh, different environment. So yeah, there's a lot of um, time in invested in, uh, you know, knowing that the kids are, are doing well outside of hockey as well. So school being obviously a big factor. Um, and you mentioned the parents. So the parents, I'd say are more involved at the midget AAA level. And then, so you've got a mix of parents and agents at my level right now. And then once you get to the major junior level, it's strictly agents, but a lot more, <laughs> a lot more time spent with them, depending upon the organizations. Sometimes it's the GM that most of the time it's the GM that deals with, you know, a lot of the agents, if you will. And sometimes that information trickles down to our office as, as coaches. Uh, and other times it's the head coach that has to deal with a lot of the agents. Um, and at our level, it's, it's mostly parents. My GM actually is Eric Schwinnard, a former first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. He's our GM basically. And he, he kind of takes on that responsibility of, of speaking with the parents if ever something happens and he kind of, Let's me know what I need to know afterwards. And so just for the agent part, we kind of like to ask this question if we've ever um, had any coaches on the show that's dealt with agents, any GMs or anything. At that at that junior level, though, what, what are the conversations with them? I, I know that you have trades, you have the draft for, for these leagues as well, but, you know, they're not – the kids aren't getting paid and they still have to focus on their other life, school and everything else. So how – what, how serious are the conversations with those scouts and, and what is it about? Is it about moving them to a different place? Are they playing, playing time? I mean, all sorts of stuff. So what, what, what is the biggest things you guys talk about? Or did? It could be anything. Um, but mostly that's a really good question as well. Mostly. Um, so I was, there's certain agents you build relationships with, right? So I built a, uh, relationship with an agent uh, who's basically Thomas Shabbat's agent, uh, who last year was Maverick Lamoureux's agent, the first round pick for the Coyotes that was one of my defensemen in Drummondville. And he's got a ton of other players, David Savard in Montreal, and, you know, part of his group as well. You've got uh, Ryan McDonough, you've got uh, Noah Dobson, some really, really good players, uh, a lot of defensemen. Um, so I dealt with him my whole time as a head coach at the midget level. And so last year there was a lot of finding the best ways to work with Maverick, who was a six foot seven giant on the back end, uh, right-handed shot defenseman who plays tough. Um, it, it, it's really finding the best way to help a player progress. So whether it be if he's got anything going on off the ice, if it's his school, if it's his training, um, mostly that part, I'd say, just to make sure that the player is in the best frame of mind to perform. And then if anything major happens, there could be conversations about ice time, um, about the role on the team. But to be honest, usually – the best agents don't really get involved in that kind of stuff. You know, they, they kind of let the coaches coach. Um, they can give their opinion, but mostly 
it's just about the head, the, the head coach or the assistant coach having the same message as the agent, because ultimately we both want the same thing, right? We want the player to get better. We want the player to play better all the time, right? They can always find a way to be a little better. And ultimately that's going to help the team. So everybody wants the same thing. It's just a matter of making sure the messages are aligned. So the player, especially at, you know, 17 years old when it's their draft year, they're getting bombarded by information everywhere. Friends, parents, agents, coaches. So it's just trying to get that message just the, the same so the player can, can have a clear mind and, and perform and, and really know what's important for him. So I'm not calling you old because you're not. I'm old. <laughs> but uh, you do have, I mean, you look at your resume, you have a, a lot of coaching experience. So there's uh, might be some hockey, young hockey players uh, like yourself that are thinking maybe uh, coaching is going to be a thing for me. So think back. And here's the question. Thinking back to your first few years of your coaching career, whether it be triple uh, A midget or the Q, if you could go back and give yourself some advice, what would you give yourself? That's an easy one. Um it's a lot more about relationships than X's and O's. Um, and you kind of get caught up with that as a young coach because you want to learn. You want to learn. So you, get, you grab some books and you're looking at systems and you're looking at this and that. But the most important things is the relationships with the players and their buy-in. So no matter what system, and you look at any league at this point, I mean, the systems are pretty similar, right? So the best teams are the teams that execute them the best. So you have to have that buy-in in terms of work ethic, in terms of attention to detail. And that comes from building relationships with the players, uh, having them understand that, yes, you want team success, but that, to me, that comes with individual success first. So if the players are getting better, like I kind of just said in terms of relationship with the agent. But if the players get better, your team's going to get better. So my job is to, whether it be major junior or at the major AAA level, is to make sure that every player gets, you know, a little bit better every day. We find a way to get better. And building those relationships with them, having them know that our bet, it's in our best interest as well to have them be good, not just the team success, so it's that partnership with them. It's making sure that they they need to feel involved in that as well, right? So at the individual level and also at the team level, because this generation of players, they need to understand why they're doing certain things. We need to make sure that our message to them is clear and we need to make sure that they're involved in certain decisions. Not everything, obviously, but you need to make sure that they're involved in certain decisions and have that conversation, especially with your leadership group to make sure that, you know, everybody's pushing the same way. So talking about today's player, and it's very difficult. I mean, I know I'm addicted to my smartphone, as most people are. And, uh, you know, kids today are are different than even your generation, Andrew. Andrew's tw almost 26. We've had on some um, assistant coaches on Division I uh, college hockey teams and off air, one of them, I, I won't mention his name just because it was an off air comment, 
that today's players, and again, this isn't even 15, 16, 17. These are 20, 21-year-old college students, that they have trouble communicating with each other because everybody's on their smartphones. And sometimes the on-ice communication and chemistry between the players just aren't happening. And one of the funny jokes was there was miscommunication in practice between two wingers and the centermen. And uh, basically, you know, the coach went up and said, well, maybe you should text them. You know, one of those things like since you don't talk to each other, why don't you guys text each other during the game? Maybe that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how do you work with probably the worst age group for people not being focused, 15, 16, 17 yeah, well, those guys, you know, 2021 are basically the guys <clears throat> that I had in my previous stint at this level as a head coach, right? So uh, even, you know, within four or five years, I see a difference in terms of communication, in terms of them being glued to their cell phones, right? I'm kind of a, like you said yourself, I'm kind of a victim of that as well, right? So I'm guilty of that too. Um, so, so for them, it must be even harder because they were basically born with it. You know, we weren't. Um, so there's, so when they arrive at the rink, um, they, they've got a little stall where they need to put their cell phones. Uh, so at least their time at the arena is spent talking amongst themselves. So every time they're at the rink, there's, there are no cell phones involved. Um, but it's always a struggle, whether it be in Drummondville last year at the major junior level, having the guys communicate on the ice is a struggle, you know, for 18, 19 year olds uh, at our level. It's a huge, huge struggle. And we're working with them. We're trying to have them understand that if we don't start communicating a bit more, you know, we can't progress as a team, right? So there's only certain things you can do. And then you got to help each other out on the ice in real time. We can't always show you guys certain things on the video after the game. You have to make sure that in real time you correct it so we don't have to wait, let's say, either between periods too. So there's all that um, education, I think, and then trying to ingrain certain habits. So we're going to have certain drills on the ice where we kind of force the guys to talk amongst themselves and that's how we, we have to have them communicate. So the thing we have to understand is I think the new player is a little behind the old player in terms of communication, but everybody's the same essentially, right? Every team has that issue. So us as coaches is trying to find a way to be creative and to kind of uh, find a way to uh, progress a little faster than the other teams at this point. Yeah, so I know you had mentioned it earlier. Your your main specialty was working with defensemen, at least when you were up in the major QMJHL. So, um, what what has been your other specialties that maybe you had to do, or has it just been defense? What I mean, was there one that maybe you wanted to work on that you weren't able to that you think you're really good at? Anything like that? So uh, I was in in charge of defensemen really as an assistant coach at the midget level, and then for four years in major junior. And then when I came back to the uh, in that same organization as I was previously, but as a head coach that time, I took on the power play because I had always done penalty kill and defensemen. So I took on the power play and obviously in charge of the forwards as a head coach as well. Um, so that year, uh, the power play was a disaster um, <laughs> because I followed, 
I felt at least that I, I followed a little bit what I had read about certain things. Um, but what I realized, and it, it may be a little tougher at the beginning of the year, but you can put in place certain patterns, but I'm, I'm not a believer in having four or five set plays, especially at the 15, 16 to 20 year old years. So maybe at the NHL level that works, but a lot of coaches coach the power play as if it were a basketball game uh, where you could have certain set plays and run them. But those are the easiest to counter if you're the opposition and you're doing your job, right? So that may work at the beginning because everything's set. And then once the season moves along, coaches are doing more and more video and they're going to see your patent patterns. And then, you know, you won't have any more plays, right? So I got stuck in that my first year. And then after that, I put in place certain certain patterns and kind of helping the guys read what's available, take what's given. Obviously, we're plus one everywhere. So is there a three-on-two on top or the three-on-two down low? Where, where are the two-on-ones? Where can we move the puck? It takes a little more time. But to me... The best compliment I got in my last year in Levy, obviously we had some really good players. We had Joshua Hua, who beat uh, Alexis Lafreniere's record at the major AAA level. We finished the season 41-1. and one. Uh, We won 34 games in a row, and the previous record was 17, 20 years pre- before that. So it was a, a year where we had so much talent, but coaches came up to me after the year and they said, we knew exactly what your pattern was on the power play, what your setup was. We kind of expected certain things, but we weren't able to stop it because even our players didn't know where they were going to move the puck before they moved the puck necessarily. It was a question of reading where the PK was and reacting to the open space and then being able to attack at that point. Um, So that was, you know, so my, Three other years at in Levy in Major AAA were a lot better than that first year where I was working with you know set plays. Um, it took time though, but uh, our last three years were always top five. This season we at the uh, so also we didn't speak about that earlier, but I was in Levy, which is across the river here in Quebec City, mm-hmm. and now I'm in Quebec City who was the biggest rival of the Levy team. So that, that was kind of weird at first because we played there last Friday. Um, but um, we're playing them again tonight, actually. But all that to say that when I arrived here, offensive talent wasn't – our strength is our defensive unit. This, this season, like I said, at the midget level, you get what you get, right? So you have to adapt. Um, and on the power play, it took a bit of time for our players to understand certain patterns, and we've been working at it for a month and a half, basically. But they're they're starting to get it, and we're no we're fourth in the league right now on the power play. But it was tough. I think we were over. I think our first two power play goals were on five on threes, hmm. and I believe we were at eight percent for the first two weeks only with two power play goals. And now we're close to 30% because we had a few big weekends. And once it kind of clicks in that this is where I need to go because you're reading off the opposition, you're, you're, you're difficult to stop no matter what 
type of talent you have. I really believe in that. Interesting. So it is, you know, obviously important to coach system, like you said, even set plays or, or patterns. But um, as a coach and now a head coach, you said that you're, you're, I guess, building more hockey awareness in your young players, I guess is what I should say. And, you yeah. know, that's, that's key for those open spaces that they're uh, aware that the opportunities exist, uh, taking the opportunity and doing something positive with it, if, if we can say that. But as a coach, it's sort of like uh, I would assume in a lot of other industries, you have a formula. And you're kind of afraid maybe as a younger coach to go outside the formula and be innovative because if your quote innovation ends up sucking really bad, you're now like a lunatic coach and you're fired because it's like this guy doesn't know anything because he doesn't do the formula. How do you, how do you negotiate that sort of paradigm? It's difficult to negotiate that when you're starting um, it's a little easier after a few years, but that's a great question too. So as a coach, you, you always want, you always want to make sure you're not at the beginning, you're afraid of being too much outside the box. And if that doesn't work, you're kind of dead meat, right? Especially a guy like me that did not have a playing career. Guys like me don't have nine lives. Um, sometimes you see certain guys that play the game and that get into coaching, uh, you know, they could have a few bad, uh, bad seasons, bounce around a few times. They're always going to find a job and that's okay. That's just part of it. But for guys like me, we don't have that opportunity. Um, so at the beginning, I, you know, I was up really up on all the, you know, NHL coaches conferences. I would go to them all the time. And in 2009, uh, a conference that really changed my perception, the way I coach, uh, was from Mike Sullivan, who at the time was an assistant coach with John Tortorella in New York. So he had been a head coach previously in Boston, and he, he did a conference, and it was in Montreal that year in 2009, uh, on small area games, basically, on the decision-making process and how, as coaches we can teach and put in place certain drills where we could make their awareness a little better. You know, you can go get that five, 10, 15% in awareness and make them more aware on the ice, work on their decision-making. So that was a big uh, change for me. And it's a big thing now, you know, small area games, everybody's talking about it now, but we're in 09, not many people were talking about that. Um, USA hockey kind of got on that a few years later and hockey Canada is getting into that now. And we're in 2022, you know what I mean? So um, at that point, I kind of understood that. And the academic side as well, there's a lot of literature that I'm reading and I still, I'm still in contact with, with uh, the, the head of my program at the school. Um, there's always an edge you can find either as a player and as a coach and I find that the best coaches, once you get a little more comfortable, uh, are the ones that find that edge, implement it, and they're always ahead of the pack. So there may be one or two NHL teams doing certain things. And, you know, in two years, everybody's going to catch up. But for that year and a half, you'll have that edge. 
So that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. And one of the big changes for me was really that conference with Mike Sullivan, um, where he said the game becomes the teacher. So if you, if you make certain drills and certain games for the players, if you prepare them properly, that game becomes then a teacher for the player because certain responses to the plays they make, certain things they see. Uh, so we do a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of coverage drills, uh, four on three in the neutral zone, which is if you find your option all the time in a four on three type of drill, that translates directly to the power play. So I don't really believe in coincidences, but if you're a good team and moving the puck and finding the open options, well, your power play is going to be good as well, right? And that's where the game is going. It's not, you know, the more the game advances, the less you've got guys in certain positions. You know, finished are the, the, the years where you got the winger going up and down the wall, right? Everybody's moving. Everybody's finding the open space. There's not much space at the professional level with the size of the rinks and everything. So small area games like that is I'm a big believer in that and working on the fundamentals with the players. And that's how I find them. Uh, they, they progress the best. So one of the last questions I wanted to ask is if you're in charge of building a roster for your team, let's say it's, it's a major QMJHL, you even get to, to draft. It's all of you, no help, no, no, nobody else's opinion, unless you want it. What are you looking for when recruiting players and, and not to get the, the generic, the thing, but truly what are you looking for? Is it, personality and everything's a 50 50 with skill how would you do it hockey sense would be the first thing because to me when you have that you could you could kind of build up a lot of the rest so for me hockey sense uh compete level you know whether you have you could have the best hockey sense the best puck skills but if you don't compete you'll just be chasing the puck the whole game um hockey sense compete and with the way the game is going uh speed so those are the three biggest things for me as a coach. I think that when a player has hockey sense, uh, you could teach them a lot of things and it kind of compensates for, let's say, lack of skill or lack of speed. You can make up for that with a bit more hockey sense. Um, same thing for the compete level. If you're out working guys all the time, you can make up for a lot of little, little things that you may not have in your game. And then with the way the game is going, uh, you need some speed. Definitely. Uh, that's, that's definitely a bonus right there. So we'll, we'll finish our conversation with this. Your head coach now, uh, big, big change. Your head coach, what can the fans look forward to for your team? Uh, uh, what should we expect from your team as a, as, as a team and you coaching them? So we inherited a group because the whole – the coaching staff was was fired um so we inherited a group that finished last in penalty minutes um a lot of goals against finished 10th in a, a 15 uh, league team uh haven't won a playoff round for four years so that's kind of the group we've inherited half the guys are back from last year so there's a big culture shock um big culture shock in terms of discipline uh in terms of work ethic uh, so we're building on that right now. Uh, we definitely want to be the hardest working team on the ice and we're building towards that. We want to be tough to play against. So we don't have that much skill offensively, but we're going to make sure that we outwork you every night. And we're, we're going to be sure that we're smart uh, defending and we're smart with the puck. 
So like I said, our, our decor and we've got a defenseman that uh, theoretically actually just, he just committed to Harvard. So um, he should be going to Harvard in a few years, one of our best defenseman and our captain this year, which is why he's not in the QMJHL. So he'll be playing for us this year because he would have been there. Obviously, he's a first-round pick. He would have been the top five pick in the league. He's back with us because next year he'll be going to play in the USHL. He was drafted there. So um, our decor is our strength. So team that we're, we're going to outwork you. We're going to be in your face. We're going to be tough to play against. We won't be giving up much, and our special teams uh, will definitely be doing the job. Matt, we can't thank you for being gracious with our time. And uh, we've, you know, we've finally worked out our schedule. And it was not just, uh, you know, we were supposed to have you on earlier in the week. We had yeah. to schedule, but it's been, uh, you know, you've had a, a culture shock yourself, being head coach, get things squared away. And uh, we appreciate you coming on because I know it's been a few months we've been trying to get you. And uh, I'm glad we did, man. We'll say goodbye off air real quick, but officially, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to following your team and your career. Yeah, thanks. Thank man. you, guys. Thanks. Thanks for, for being understanding there with that. Uh, the uh, the newborn last week was a little tough. So thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. No problem. All right.